Life is better when we live the way God wants us to live, which includes helping others. Make no mistake, that is part of what it means to be in the family of God. It is helping others. Uh, You remember what Jesus said, right? Mark chapter 12, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We got that right. That's what we've been singing about. We're going to love God supremely. And then he added, and the second liken to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. An attorney said, who then is my neighbor? And what is the story that Jesus told in response to that question? The Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. He said, he said, well, let me tell you a story about a guy who went and he fell among thieves and he got beat up and he's on the side of the road and he was dying on the side of the road and uh, three religious guys walked past, a priest and a Sadducee and a Pharisee or somebody, and uh, these religious folks walked by and they didn't have anything to do with the uh, guy that was laying on the side of the road. And then a Samaritan who was not considered, it was kind of like being a Dallas Cowboy fan in a Washington Redskins town. Uh, That's a Samaritan. Uh, Did y'all get that? That was pretty good, wasn't it? How about them cowboys? All right, so it's, it's uh, but a Samaritan is, is an outcast, wasn't considered a respectable soul. But all these respectable people walked by on the other side, but the Samaritan walked past. He saw the man uh, who was beaten up, laying beaten and broken on the side of the road, and the Samaritan stops and helps. And then Jesus asked the attorney, who then was neighbor, a neighbor, uh, to the man who fell among thieves? And, and the, even the lawyer got it. He said, oh, well, the guy who helped. And, and the point is that we love God and we love others when we help our neighbor. That's what Big Serve's all about. And I'm so thankful for you and all that, that, that our church has done in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, but especially in South Norfolk, as you gave time and energy and effort to bless those who were in need. And uh, God smiles. And we're talking about that a little bit today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 21. While you're turning there, just a quick reminder that we as a church, we memorize scripture together and we pray together. That means that uh, now we don't have great accountability. I, in fact, I don't call you up in, in the middle of the afternoon and say, are you memorizing this passage? You know, we don't do that. Uh, but I, I, I believe that the spirit of God will lead all of us to do what, uh, what as a church we're doing, which is memorize scripture. Even if you're not following our, our scripture memory for the week, I encourage you to plant God's word in your heart. Uh, that is always a wise thing to do. But what, what we're memorizing this week, beginning this Sunday and all the way to next Saturday, and then we'll have a new uh, passage uh, on uh, October 13th. But uh, what the passage we're memorizing this week is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Now, you probably have, at least in your um, subconscious, Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your good and not for your harm, plans to give you a future and a hope. All right. So, so that's verse 11. It, all you have to do is add verses 12 and 13, which is important to understand fully what verse 11 is about. All right. So, so 11, 12, and 13, that's what we're going to memorize. I encourage you to do that. Um, 
we're a church that memorizes Scripture together, but we're also a church that prays together. Again, a very small level of accountability, but it's not a hard thing to do. You just put a little reminder on your, uh, on your phone or uh, on your calendar at 1 o'clock every day, pray for one minute for one thing. And I try to give you the one thing to pray for every single week. What are we going to pray for this week? Well, we're going to pray for Disciple Now. Disciple Now is this weekend, October 11, 12, and 13. Disciple Now is where students uh, in grades 6 to 12 get together for um, uh, really to open God's Word, to, to see who God is, to, to uh, hear the gospel uh, to, so that they can find new life in Christ. Uh, for those who have life in Christ, for them to uh, be encouraged and inspired to to take the good news to their uh, campuses, to their schools, to their classmates. Uh, and friends, I've got to tell you that uh, every great revival began, every great revival and spiritual awakening in America began with students who were captured by Jesus in a passionate way to share the good news with others. And so I want to encourage you to pray this week, pray for our students who will be gathered in, in uh, Disciple Now and pray that God would use Disciple Now 2019 to spark an awakening in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Uh, so that uh, the culture and the climate of our schools will be transformed not by a political action, but by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So uh, that may take more than a minute, but go ahead and give 65 seconds, all right? So let's pray together. One o'clock, this one thing, disciple now um, uh, at one o'clock, all right, uh, for one minute. All right, uh, Proverbs chapter 21. Uh, as we look at Proverbs 21, I want us to kind of get a landscape, what we're looking at. Um, now, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, there was a day where uh, you realized that your life was empty and, and there was something profoundly missing. Uh, there, there came a point in time where you realized that there was a darkness of life that you could not escape. And somehow, uh, whether it's through the testimony of a preacher or a friend or a, uh, a Sunday school teacher um, or a neighbor or a, a dad or a mom or a grandparent, somebody shared with you the good news. And, and we talk about the good news. Maybe you're here and you're not really sure what the good news is. Here's the good news. The good news is that our sin, your sin and my sin, all of us have sinned. Our sin has separated us from God. Okay, and we see this Rome, uh, in uh, Romans chapter three twenty three and verse six twenty three um, that sin is something that we all have, and the penalty of our sin is separation from God, and so we're living separated from God, and and we can't get to Him. Okay, so we we can't somehow be good enough to get to God. We're always living in this uh, uh, in the. the Heredity, as, as we heard earlier, we're living in the heredity of a lack of holiness and a heritage of hopelessness. All right, that, that's where we are. And all of us are at the same place, okay? And then we recognize that God sent Jesus to give us an heredity of holiness and a heritage of hopefulness. That Jesus came, Jesus who is God, became man and dwelt among us. And, and the people who followed Jesus, they saw the glory of God in him. And Jesus lived his life without sin. He never sinned. He, that makes him different than us. He is fully God, fully man, but he never sinned. 
And yet Jesus determined to go to a cross to pay the penalty that my sin demanded. Jesus determined to die for a sinner like Eric Thomas on a cross. And it is through that death on the cross that he has made payment for sinners and for our sin. Okay? And, and so he died on a cross to bridge the distance between unholiness and holiness, between you and me and a holy God. And Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. He was raised from the dead three days later to give us a new life, to give us a chance at a new life. So, so that's, that's the gospel. Jesus died for sinners, and he was raised from the dead to give new life, to make us right in God's sight. And somebody told you that you can escape the emptiness of life created by sin by trusting in Jesus, by, by abandoning yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, who died for your sin on a cross to pave the way for forgiveness, to give you an heredity of holiness, so that he would take all the holiness that Jesus is and plant it on you, and all the sin that you are, he took to the cross for himself. And, and so we, we, we heard that, and then we began to believe that. And God sparked in us the courage to believe and have faith in Jesus, that Jesus really is my only hope. And you, by faith, embraced Christ. You were thirsty, and you came to Jesus to satisfy your thirst. That's what Jesus promised in John chapter 7. He said, he said whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. He said, whoever believes in me will never thirst again. And out of his heart will flow rivers like uh, ri rivers of living water. Now, that's, that's what happened if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just a religious person or a moral person, I, I applaud you for being here. I'm thankful that you're here. But there needs to be something more than just being a religious person in your life. Don't you find it empty? Guys, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm a Baptist preacher's kid. I was raised in the religious environment, and it is, it is just, ugh. I mean, honestly, it just makes me want to gag. It is part of the dysfunction that I carry in my life. I, I, I don't like this religious stuff, all the, all the mamby-pamby stupid stuff that we do at church that we pretend like we've got all this stuff. Don't, aren't you tired of that? Stop, stop trying to be religious and, and, and find that which will truly satisfy your soul. And that's found only in Jesus. When you come to Jesus and you drink by faith, from the fountain that he provides, you will be satisfied. And you were satisfied. If you came to Christ, you, you were satisfied. You were empty, and now you're whole. The Scripture does it in a lot of different ways. I was dead, but now I live. I was blind, but now I see, right? I was lost, but now I'm and that's, that's the transformation that takes place in every person who becomes a follower of Jesus. And if you are that person, I want to ask you, has there been a time where you've lost that satisfaction, where you became thirsty again? 
See, I think there is, if you're anything at all like me. And, and what I want us to do today is see how do we experience life like rivers of water that will nourish our soul continually as followers of Jesus. And what we're going to look at in Proverbs 21, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see uh, first the premise, the idea that we can have a life like rivers of water that began when we placed our faith in Jesus. But somewhere we lose along the way because we decide to go our own way. Do you realize as a follower of Jesus, you can choose to go your own way? I'm not saying you miss heaven. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation. I am saying that you lose the satisfaction that God alone can provide because you choose not to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. And we get this, Proverbs 21, I want us to uh, kind of walk through this. And, and by the way, this is going to be very walk, 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 walk through the Bible, okay? So it's going to be walking through these eight verses. Some of y'all are going to really like this because this is the way you've always wanted me to preach. You say, man, I wish he'd preach like that all the time. All right, so y'all are getting ready to get awful excited, okay? Just kind of, if you get awful excited, go ahead and raise your hand and shout amen, okay? If you're not, if you're like bored to tears, that's okay too. Just stay away because I'll call you out. All right, I won't. I'd never do that. Well, I have done it, but I don't do that. Uh, all right, so Proverbs chapter 21. Now look at verse 1, okay? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wants. Okay, so that's kind of the premise of this passage, the, the theme of this passage. The premise of the passage, that, now the guy writing this, the Solomon or one of the other sages, was writing this proverb and, and he began to think, now who is the most powerful dude that I know? Who is the, the guy that is the guy of all guys uh, on earth? And that is the king. In his mind, the most powerful person in the empire, in his sphere of influence, is the king. Okay? So he says, all right, so even the most powerful dude in the world that I know of, the king, is dependent on God to direct his life toward good purposes, to, to uh, reorient the flow of his life, to nourish the soul of his life with rivers of water. Now, when you look in Scripture and you see rivers of water or streams of water, it's a picture of the blessing of God on a person or on people, uh, by and large. I mean, sometimes it's just a river of water. But, but when it's like here, it's a picture of God's blessing, of satisfaction. It's, it's a picture of Psalm 1. You remember Psalm 1? You might write it in the margin there. Psalm 1, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. It's what Jesus is talking about in John 7. He said, out of your heart will flow rivers of water, blessings from God. 
So when we see this in verse 1 of chapter 21 in Proverbs, we, we, we're looking at the blessings of God's satisfaction in our life and through our life. That God will take even the most powerful guy like a king, and the king is dependent upon God to experience the nourishment for his soul. And the king is dependent upon God's nourishment to then be a nourishment to others, to be a blessing to others. Now, what makes a king dependent upon God? The fear of the Lord. We talked about the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1, 7, Proverbs chapter 9, uh, Proverbs chapter 15. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key that unlocks the the. the the key that unlocks wisdom for our everyday life. So, so what is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is doing life God's way. It's where we say, God has a way for me to live a life, live life, and I'm going to walk in that life. That's what a follower of Jesus is all about. Do you realize? A follower of Jesus, you and I were rescued from sin's embrace to bring us into the family of God. Once we're in God's family, there is an anticipation and expectation for us to continue to move in the flow of God's blessing by living faithfully as children of God. Are you living faithfully as sons and daughters of God? That, that, that's, that's the question. That's what we're going to hit at here. If the king did right in the sight of God, if you look in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, really 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, you look there, it talks about this narrative, goes through the different kings of Israel and Judah, and he says, and so-and-so did right in the sight of God, or so-and-so, the king, uh, did evil in the sight of God, did only that which was right in his own eyes. Some of us are like those kings. We're either doing what is right in the sight of God or we're doing that which is right in our own eyes. All right? So here's the thing. And all of us, all of us struggle with this, okay? Every follower of Jesus struggles with this. What I want you to see and what I pray that you get hold of or what gets hold of you is that you see that the, the, the emptiness in your life as a follower of Jesus that dissatisfaction is not primarily because of your circumstances. It's not primarily because of people behaving around you in a way that you don't like. It's, it's primarily about your relationship with God. It, it begins there. Dissatisfaction in my life begins when I evaluate, well, where am I standing in relationship with God? You want to be satisfied. You want to have a full life, a full marriage, a full family. Uh, you want to experience fullness in church when we gather together. It begins in your relationship with God. Are you moving in the flow of the fear of the Lord? Are you moving in the flow of God's will? Are you moving in the flow of wisdom? And when we as followers of Christ walk the path of wisdom, submission to God, Submitting to the twist, uh, to the movement of his hand to move us to the right when we need to go to the right, move us to the left when we need to go to the left, move us up, move us down, move us around. When we submit ourselves to the purposes and the plan, the will of God, and commit ourselves as followers of Christ, living by faith to follow after the will of God, 
then we are walking in wisdom, and that wisdom nourishes our soul like rivers of water in a dry land. How many of y'all have seen uh, or go back in your mind? Do you remember looking at pictures of Egypt? On, on, a, on a map, and I, you know, you go to a map, and, and maybe it's colored and color-coded, a color-coded map, and if you look going down the center of the, uh, of, of the, the, of the country of Egypt, there in, in, in northern Africa, northeast Africa, you see the Nile, right? The Nile cuts Egypt in half almost, right? You, you remember that? And if it's color-coded, you see that all around the Nile, the color is going to be green because the river Nile nourishes all the land around it. And, and, and farmers would go and plant stuff, and that's where agriculture began to blossom and grow. But if you go outside the boundaries and the influence of the Nile, what color is it? Brown, because it is arid and desert land and wilderness. Now, some of us are living our lives in the flow of God's nourishing life, and we are satisfied. We're flourishing because we're moving in the flow of wisdom. Some of us are living in the desert lands because we've walked away from wisdom. Now, what we see in verse 2 is that God knows where you are. Again, look at verse 2. Now, we looked at a verse similar to this in, in Proverbs 16 last week, but verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So you come here today, please know you can fool me. You can say, oh, preacher, I got it all together. You know, or I can say to you, oh, people, I got it all together. And it may be true or it may not be true, but God knows the truth of it. And today, he doesn't want to let you loose from the truth of it. Today, he wants us to be captured by the truth. Are we living in wisdom where our souls are nourished like a river of water flowing through us? Or are we living in the desert land? You see, as followers of Christ, it matters. It matters where you are because... You and I are supposed to be living toward and for the good purposes of God, which includes helping others want what we've got. Can I tell you that one of the greatest detriments to the advance of the gospel is not how bad people are in the American culture today, but it's how we as followers of Christ are not showing people something that they desperately want. A satisfied life and the reason we're not showing a satisfied life is because we're not satisfied and the reason we're not satisfied is because we're living in the desert land and we're living in the desert land because we're no longer walking in wisdom we're not living submitted to the will of God church we must get back to where we need to be and that's what this passage is going to help us and by the way God knows where you are God knows where I am. I'm not going to fool him. So I believe that he's going to use these next 10 minutes to really push into your life the truth of where you are. All right? Now, uh, verse 3 tells us, uh, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. All right, so um, we'll come back to verse 3 in a minute, but let me just say 
Again, you can pretend like you got it all together because you're showing up at church, but showing up in church it doesn't mean you got it all together. Some of the most dissatisfied people I know and I meet are people who come to church. And the reason they're dissatisfied is not because their circumstances stink, although some of those circumstances do stink. The reason they're dissatisfied is because they're living in rebellion against God. And what we need to see, beginning in verse 4, is what that looks like. See, God's not pleased just because you're showing up here. It's good. I'm glad you're here. God's glad you're here. God would love it if you were here more. But what gives him greater pleasure is when your life reflects being a son or a daughter of his. So what, what we begin to look at is the arid places around us. What makes our life not satisfied? As followers of Jesus, we have the river of life. Jesus Christ himself who has rescued us. Why are we so dissatisfied, people of God? Why? I think we need to roll the tape on our lives and see why. That's what verse 4 talks about. Verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Let me read them, and then we'll come back to them. Uh, verse 4. It tells us a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing or the lamp of the wicked are sin. Verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy, the fading fog, the empty emptiness. That's what that means. The fleeting fancy of those who seek death, the violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice the way of a guilty man is crooked. Literally, verse 8, uh, crooked heart, crooked path. We'll come back to the second part of verse 8 in a second. All right, so let me kind of break this down. Haughty look, proud heart, and uh, the plowing of the wicked. Uh, simply said, we know that we are living in arid places, in waste places, in wilderness. We are not going to be satisfied, even as followers of Jesus, when pride is our way of life. A proud look. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the, what's the plowing of the wicked? Or lamp of the wicked, depending on your translation. It simply means that pride becomes um, the way of life for us. It becomes the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. It becomes the furrowed uh, field in which we plant the works of our life. Pride. Pride becomes our way of life. Now, pride is called sin. Please know. Pride is called sin. Why? Because you have determined that, and I, in my pride, determined that I am the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul. It's where I've got the way to go, and God, I don't need to listen to you anymore. God, I've got the plans. I've got the path. I've got the purpose, and it's all about me. And God, you're not even part of that equation except on Sunday morning when I come to church and I act like I'm worshiping you. Pride is where we make a decision, not with diligence, verse 5, not with the diligence of seeking God, but we make a decision with haste where God is not our guide. When we are diligent to walk in wisdom, the way of God, before we make a decision, then that will lead to satisfaction, plenty. 
But when we make a decision with pride as our way of life, the lamp to our feet, I don't need to talk to God about this. All I need to do is decide. Now, some of us are making decisions even now. And God's not the guide of those decisions. He's not even entertained in the same building. But we're still making the decisions, and we think that somehow that's going to lead to a satisfied life. Never! When pride is at the root of our decisions, then what results is drought, poverty. See that in verse 5? Drought. Or verse, yeah, verse 5. And then verse 6, it says, so we, we are walking a path of pride, and God is not our God, and we're leading, it's leading us to drought so much that we're empty on the inside, that we are still incomplete, even as followers of Christ. And so we need to satisfy that something in us. All the while, Jesus has opened his arms and said, come to me and drink. I'll satisfy you, but we ignore God because we are walking the way of pride and we're sticking on that path and it's the lamp to our feet. And so we make decisions. God's not our guide. God's word is absent from the decision-making process and we're living in drought. And so we decide we're going to get the little tidbits of treasure, the things that we think are going to satisfy us. We're going to cheat and we're going to lie and we're going to steal to get that which we think will satisfy us. We'll pay any price that we need to pay in order to get that little treasure that we want because that treasure will satisfy us. And so we're using a lying tongue to get a treasure and it ends up being empty. Just a puff of wind. And it's even a puff of wind that can be toxic to our soul that will lead to death-dealing emptiness. We're living in the dead zone of emptiness because uh, we have trusted in our own decisions to give us life, but it's only ended up in drought because we are living a life of pride, which is sin. Verse 7 tells us that it goes even further. Because we're sitting in misery, because we're dissatisfied, because we have made decisions that God is not the guide, because we're walking in pride, living life according to our opinion, our desires, God's not there. We're just we're the masters of our own faith, the captains of our own soul. So we're making these decisions based on our ideas, our opinions, our wants, our needs, not God. That's sin. It leads us to become even more diligent, determined to get what we think is going to satisfy us, so much so that we become violent and we're known as wicked because we beat up anybody that gets in our path that would keep us from the thing we think is going to satisfy our soul. Even in church. You know, I don't know if you've experienced people that are hateful and mean in church. I have. I've done a study of them. And I've evaluated, I mean, I have. I've, I've, why are these folks so mean? Over the course of how many ever years it's been, me pastoring, I've encountered many of them, several of them, a few. Now I want to evaluate why. And almost without fail, the reason the people are the mean, it's so mean in church is because they're so empty and dissatisfied with their life. It truly does go back to the old adage, hurting people hurt people. 
The only way they can feel bad about themselves is to make you feel worse than they are. The violence of the wicked, that's, that's the picture here. Because we're empty and dissatisfied, we once tasted satisfaction in Christ, but we walked uh, away from that path, and now we are living in pride. That is sin, and that sin leads us to make decisions where God's not our guide, and, and, and those decisions are, 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 are hasty, and, 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 and they're leading to drought in our life that, that leads us to, uh, to, to, to pursue treasures through whatever means possible to satisfy our soul, but it's just a fleeting fancy. It's just a puff of wind, a fading fog, and now we're living in the dead zone of our own emptiness. And, and so becoming even more desperate, we determine that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make me feel better. And how do we make ourselves feel better? We, by making other people around us feel worse. Verse 7 says that, that the violence of the wicked drags them away. You know, the picture there, and it's a good picture if you're a fisherman, it's a picture of a, a fisherman throwing his net into the, into the water and dragging up the fish and carrying them off for the frying pan to destruction. See, we need to, what began is just a small little thing called pride right here. We need to roll the tape forward and see where pride ends up. Pride is a fatally magnetic thing to every single person here. And pride, pride destroys us. It gives us a crooked way of looking at our life and a crooked way of walking in life. We all know whether you're a religious person or not, a Baptist person or not, a First Norfolk person or not, we all know pride goes before the fall. We need to understand pride in you, a follower of Jesus, looking all religious here at First Norfolk today. Pride, all up in here, preacher man, spouting off all these scriptures and going back to original languages. Pride in you and pride in me, let's roll the tape forward. It leads to a dissatisfied life that will destroy us. The second part of verse 8 says, it's not the way it should be. You, you look at the second part of verse 8, it says, as for the pure, his work is right. See, when we're diligent for God to be the, the main source of our decision-making, when, when we determine that we're going to live like a son and daughter of God, like, like the one that Jesus saved us to be, then we're going to walk in the purity of life. We're going to walk the straight path that leads to a fulfilled life. And that's where verse 3 comes in. And go back to verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more pleasing to the Lord than sacrifice. What is this idea of to do righteousness and justice? Most people would agree. Righteousness and justice combined together in this way is a picture. It's a picture of the whole of the biblical religion. And I, I can show you quickly. Righteousness means living according to God and his will. That's righteousness. Uh, a righteous person is a wise person. A wise person is a righteous person. 
A righteous person is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's righteousness. What's justice? Justice is helping those who are in need with a compassionate heart, providing for them what they can't get for themselves. Justice, justice is loving your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? What is the greatest of all commandments? The lawyer asked. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second likened to it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the law and prophets, Jesus said, is summed up in these. You and I, we've been gifted by God's grace to be part of his family, to be satisfied with the rivers of water that flow from the very heart of Christ. But as followers of Jesus, we need to return again to the place of wisdom where we make our stand to love God and to love others because that's what sons and daughters of God do. Some of you are here today and you're living in the arid places, the wilderness land, even as a follower of Jesus. And the reason you're there is because you have chosen pride, which is sin, which leads to decision-making where God is not the guide that leads to drought. And that drought sparks a hunger that you'll do whatever it takes to get a little tasty tidbit treasure in your soul, even lie, cheat, and steal. But that leads to the dead zone of emptiness. So much so that in your emptiness you determine that you're going to absolutely destroy others because that's the only way you can feel good about yourself. But in turn, it really destroys you. So stop it today. God is still the loving Father. You know, I can't tell you how many times I walked away from my dad and what he wanted me to be and to do and how he called me to live. You know, he would remind me being a, a Thomas meant that you needed to behave like a Thomas. You're Claude Thomas's son. Behave like it, right? It mattered. You know, what we do and how we do it, what we get and how we get it, those things matter to God because it's a reflection on who we are as the family of God. Here today, I invite you to look again at God in your life, opening his arms of love to you, inviting you 
to return to him in repentance and faith and commit yourself to be satisfied once again in the embrace of Jesus, our King.